<clears throat> oh, the exciting thing, by the way, is um, I'm using a sock as a pop filter. Oh. It works pretty well. I could see yeah. that. Yeah. I always have this problem where I, I breathe into the mic when I laugh. And so all joy must be eradicated from the podcast because it's an annoying sound. <laughs> Oh boy, it's the Doom to Fail podcast. My name is Tim Dobbs, and that's our classic catchphrase. Oh boy. With me, as ever, through the magic of the internet, she mops things up and keeps them going squeaky clean. It's Catherine Kogert. It's good to be here. As regular listeners of the show know, we have a number of different series, and we roll through the series like so many big wheels that keep on rolling. Proud Mary, keep on burning. Burning. Okay, and this week our series is film genres. <music> Catherine. Yo. What? Uh, what? 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 What are we talking about? Someone, listeners out there, all five of you, please make a remix of that what tim just did <laughs> moving on the porky pig version of doom to fail <laughs> um we are doing citizen kane and i know it's called film genres and i know we're supposed to like pick a genre and talk about how technology influenced that genre and how cultural society blah 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 blahs influenced that culture genre <laughs> I mean, you know, yeah. th this whole series was your idea. You're you're just mocking your you're mocking the exact thing you pitched to me. I know, I know, I am. This is how I operate because I don't want anyone to be mad at me. Huh. <laughs> All right. Anyway, but but the case here we're making here is that Citizen Kane is its own genre, right? Well, it's genreless. Yeah. Well, it's a big deal. It's worth talking about. I guess that's what we're getting yes. at. So Citizen Kane has been. Like, somewhat objectively, as objective as you can be about these things, called the best film ever. Which is not very objective, but... <laughs> I mean, it's reasonably ob objective, because the American Film Institute, um, in, like, I think 1950, called it the best film ever made. It came out in 1941. Wow, so... that's very quick to draw. Very recent, right? Yeah, that'd be like if we called Avatar the best film ever made. Yeah, no, exactly. But then 50 years later, they again reassessed and were like, oh, is this still the best film ever made? And Citizen Kane, again, was on the top of the list. Yeah, no, I I just watched it. Um, It suffers a little bit from that whole, like, Shakespeare doesn't seem that great because we've been using Shakespeare tropes for so long that we, it seems old hat. It suffered mm -hmm. from the same sort of thing. Uh, yeah. But clearly, it's, it's, it's a phenomenally well-made movie. And... Uh, Yes. You... Can we can we spend a second and talk about that phenomenon? Because I just want to say, like, that's what got me into old movies. Or, like, that's what got me to appreciate movies as art, is looking at, like, these really old movies, seeing where the trope began, and being like, oh my god, this is brilliant. Yeah, yeah. 
I mean, I, I, I'm with you there. I think, you know, for some reason, movies don't really catch my imagination the same way that it does for many people. But I, I totally see what you're saying. And I think that's actually a lot, that's a lot of uh, what our business is here on the Doom to Fail podcast is, you know, I, I do this with cities. You know, it's like, oh, why is that built that way? Oh, because, you know, you, you just go back into the history and see the, the definitions of it. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. I, let's, let's, let's just begin at the beginning here. How about? Okay. Uh, so, released in 1941, uh, directed mm -hmm. by the great Orson Welles. And yes. released by RKO Pictures, is that correct? Yes. I've never heard of them. They're defunct now. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but Orson Welles is great for a lot of reasons, right? Yes. Boy, what a what a what a figure he cuts. He has a strong voice, and I mean, just uh, a a very good-looking young man. Um, he is so cool. <laughs> <laughs> and also, yeah, a real creative force. He's one of these these guys who. Bolt is is you know very creative, but also clearly, and I think I maybe am just borrowing from his character in Citizen Kane, which I just watched. But like clearly has a lot of uh, uh, business acumen and can really you know push projects through. Do you think that's accurate? Um, yeah, I could see that. He's a very good organizer, and he just has like really catching ideas that I think excite people and like get people behind him. Like for example, War of the Worlds is a good example from his his own company, Mercury Theater. And, of course, that enraged millions into just tossing everything every which way. And, yeah. Yeah, a, a little background there. I think most people know that story. But, basically, he put on a radio production of H.G. Uh, Wells' War of the Worlds and mm -hmm. framed it as though it was a news bulletin. And because it was the radio so long ago, if people came in before the beginning that said, like, hey, this is a story, then everyone flipped out. But he's also had some other amazing, amazing ideas. Like, for example, he did like either off-Broadway, some sort of New York play thing. He did Macbeth with a voodoo twist on it, which I think is a really cool idea, and I really wish I could see that. Wait, does, like, someone come back as um, a zombie? Well, I think the obvious thing that you could do is turn uh, the witches into, like, voodoo queens. Oh, well, yeah, that's probably what happened. Right, and then you set it in, like, Creole. And... That's not a place. A Creolian... Who's a Mowatsits? Is that a place? Is that good enough for you, Tim? He also did anti-fascist version of Julius Caesar set in Italy in 1937. That's pretty interesting. So, I mean, he's making a real political statement as well. That's a, yeah. that's a creative uh, a creative sort of art to put on, but also, yeah, clearly making its way into the, the world at large as well. All of these, but mostly War of the Worlds, gets him signed an unprecedented six-movie deal. And so he gets signed on to RKO to do six movies. And the crazy part is where he has complete creative control and RKO is totally trusting him. He gets to pick all of the casting and all of the photography and no, no crazy Hollywood execs get to mess with his films. Right. So this makes it uh, art, not business. Right. Yeah. I, this is rare, but uh, it reminds me immediately of, of, the modern day uh the louis ck show because he has the basically the same thing going on he's he's signed on for this show with fx where it's just like yeah do whatever you want and he just does every piece of it and it's it's a phenomenal show it is a phenomenal show perhaps something we can <laughs> learn here is that let's just give people creative control and if they're willing to work hard enough on it then it'll be great because i mean i i know louis ck is working ridiculous amounts of time and and i yeah I think this was uh, 
this was a really rough time for Orson Welles too, right? Like he put a lot of his heart and soul into this movie. Yes, he did. Um, though I think, at least I hope things are going to turn out for better for Louis C.K. than they did for Orson Welles. Well, we'll see. I wonder how Louis C.K. feels about being compared to Orson Welles. I don't know. Uh, I wish he would do. I We should call him. I'll just call Louis. <laughs> right. So that's maybe a, a, a bit of a touch about how this, this ends up playing out. But we will discuss it a little more when we're back on the Dubrafell podcast. Bites! Give me a bite! Thank you. How do you do, ladies and gentlemen? This is Orson Welles. I'm speaking for the Mercury Theater. And what follows is supposed to advertise our first motion picture. Citizen Kane is the title, and we hope it can correctly be called a coming attraction. It's certainly coming, coming to this theater. And I think our Mercury actors make it an attraction. I'd like you to meet them. Speaking of attractions, well, the chorus girls are certainly an attraction. But frankly, ladies and gentlemen, we're just showing you the chorus girls for purposes of ballyhoo. It's a pretty nice ballyhoo. Citizen Kane is a modern American story about a man called Kane, Charles Foster Kane. I don't know how to tell you about him. There's so many things to say. I'll turn you over instead to the characters in the picture. As you'll see, they feel very strongly on the subject. Charles Foster Kane is... Sure, he started the war. But do you think if it hadn't been for Mr. Kane, the United States would have the Panama Canal? Charles Foster Kane is nothing more or less and a communist! Kane, governor. Listen, when the voters of this state and Mrs. Kane learn what I found out about Mr. Kane and a certain little blondie named Susan Alexander, he couldn't be elected dog catcher. I'm going to skin Mr. Charles Foster Kane alive. I'm going to marry him next week at the White House. Emily, I hear you've been stepping out with Charlie Kane. I... Of course I love him. I gave him $60 million. Well, of course I love him. He's the richest man in America. But all the girls say about him at first. But you know, I can't help but admire him. He's crazy. He's wonderful. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I don't know what you'll think about Mr. Kane. I can't imagine. You see, I play the part myself. Well, Kane is a hero and a scoundrel. A no account and a swell guy, a great lover, a great American citizen, and a dirty dog. It depends on who's talking about him. What's the real truth about Charles Foster Kane? I wish you'd come to this theater when Citizen Kane plays here and decide for yourself. We're back on the Doom to Fail podcast. Catherine and Tim talking about Citizen Kane. It's like a news on the march. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so what's what's the what the heck is this great movie about? What's so fantastic about it? Okay, so Citizen Kane is his first movie of these six that he gets signed. It was to the do. first one, huh? Yeah, I was going to ask yes. you that. Yes. Um, and uh, so. 
spoiler alert, we're going to tell you everything that happens in Citizen Kane because it's been 71 years and just go watch the movie already. Best movie ever made, blah, blah, blah. You should have, seriously, you should have watched it by now. No, and ever, everyone knows the big spoiler already, so I don't that's think that's a big deal. Um, that's true. <laughs> although, yeah, when I was watching the film, I just, you know, so, okay, let's let's get this out of the way. Uh, the film opens with a mystery. Kane is holding a snow globe and he's about to die. And he says, Rosebud, and then drops the snow globe and dies. And um, Rosebud is his sled yes. from when he was a boy because yes. he, he still really loved that sled. And the whole movie is about them trying to figure out what his last words meant. Yeah. Um, interesting tidbit. You know that... So right after he drops the the snow globe and then it's like, news on the march! And then there's this whole sort of news sequence that gives you an overlay of this is kind of his life and this is the mystery. Yeah. And sort of sets it up. Which is smart. It's, you could kind of think of it as a, like a synecdoche. So uh, it's a smaller version of the film because it has all the same mysteries and the reporters end up with knowing just as much as they did before. That's true, actually. That's fair. And... Isn't that interesting? Yeah, that is interesting. I think maybe this is one of the reasons that this this movie is so good is that it's got just layers and layers. Is because you know here's the movie, and then here's the you know the actual thing they're trying to do, and then I guess I also just kind of think of the layer. I couldn't help but think of well, two layers. One is that the movie's uh, based loosely on the life of uh, William Randolph Hearst, who was a newspaper magnate in the uh, early 20th century. He's kind of like early 20th century Rupert Murdoch. Yeah, that's fair. And then and so I couldn't help but think of him and see the 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 relationships there. But then also I couldn't help but overlay all of the Simpsons references on top of it. Like I was just thinking about Mr. Burns half the time. <laughs> but uh, do do you want to keep get us going, keep us going yeah, on on the yeah, basic Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, we find out that Charles Foster Kane has gone from nothing to everything. Um, he spent his childhood in poverty in Colorado. We find out that uh, his mom sort of signs him off to this investment banker. So that's how people made sort of their old money. And uh, Dude, So do you know, uh, maybe you can shed a little light on this. What was yeah, up with yeah. his mom? Like, we can, we can cut this out. But wh wh what was going on there? She was like weird and emotionally distant. She just there's this scene where she's talking to the banker and staring out the window into the snow and saying like and the banker says like maybe you should pack his bags and she goes I've had his bags packed for a week and then like continues just staring off uh, you know with no expression into the snow. Well, she's staring at a uh, cane in the background. Oh, all right. Yeah. Still. Which is uh, okay, we're going to talk about that later. <laughs> So he spends his childhood in poverty. His mom signs him off for uh, like a little bit of cash and to prove and to like ensure a better life for her son. Um, and as a young man, instead of going into banking like his adopted father, he ends up uh, just telling this guy, can you actually let me run a newspaper? I think that would be really fun. And his adopted father's like, Ugh, whatever, you're weird. Um, and so he runs the newspaper and he gets re and he's really, really, really good at it. He uses it to control public opinion and he marries the niece of a president. And it's not really clear which one that is. Um, 
He runs for office eventually using all of his public opinion and manipulation and his connection with the president. Uh, but he loses sort of like, I think it's like a week before the election or something when he's caught cheating on his wife. Uh, so then he marries this woman that he's cheating on his wife with, uh, and he builds his estate, Xanadu, and a whole opera house for his wife because she tells him when they first meet that she wants to be a singer. Um, and she, of course, learns to hate singing when he, like, forces her into an operatic career that she's really bad at, and people are really mean to her because she's really bad at it, and she can't leave Xanadu, and she's just super miserable, and, of course, she starts to hate Kane because of all of this, and so she divorces him. Well, and he's, him. you know... Kind of a jerk. He's kind of a jerk to her. And so she leaves him, and then Kane dies alone. And the reporters conclude that we'll never really know what Rosebud means. Mm -hmm. And then we find out it's a sled as the viewer. As it gets burned up, and then the camera pans back, and you get a shot of the building, and it uh, finally focuses on a sign that says, No trespassing on the fence. Very... Very metaphorical. All right. I hope you all took notes. Keep that in mind. And <laughs> we will be back to discuss this further when we return on the Doom to Fail podcast. Come on, boys! The Union Be careful, Charles. Kane. Pull your muffler around your neck, Charles. Kane, I think we shall have to tell him now. Yes. I'll sign those papers now, Mr. Thatcher. You people seem to forget that I'm the boy's father. It's going to be done exactly the way I've told Mr. Thatcher. There ain't nothing wrong with Colorado. I don't see why we can't raise our own son just because we come into some money. If I want, I can go to court. A father has a right to. A boarder that beats his bill and leaves worthless stock behind. That property is just as much my property as anybody's, now that it's valuable. And if Fred Graves had any idea all this was going to happen, he'd have made out those certificates in both our names. However, they were made out in Mrs. Kane's name. He owed the money for the board to the both of us. The bank's decision on all matters I don't hold with signing my boy away to any bank as guardian. I want you to stop all this nonsense. The bank's decision on all matters concerning his education, his places of residence, and similar subjects is to be the final. The idea of a bank being the guardian. I want you to stop all this nonsense. We will assume full management of the Colorado load, which I repeat, Mrs. Kane, you are the sole owner. Where do I sign, Mr. Thatcher? Right here, Mrs. Kane. Mary, I'm asking you for the last time. Anybody think I hadn't been a good the husband and a $50,000 a year is to be paid to you and Mr. Kane as long as you both live, and thereafter to the survivor. Well, let's hope it's all for the best. It is. Everything else, the principal as well as all monies earned, is to be administered by the bank in trust for your son Charles Foster Kane until he reaches his 25th birthday, at which time he is to come into complete possession. Charles! Go on, Mr. Thatcher. Well, uh, it's almost five, Mrs. Kane. Don't you think I'd better meet the boy? I've got his trunk all packed. I've had it packed for a week now. Oh, oh, hi. We're back on the Doom to Fail podcast, and we're talking about Citizen Kane. And gosh, we just spent the past uh, however long just glorifying the heck out of this movie, but I don't get it. What's so great? Huh? Well, Tim, the answer would take me years and years, and then we'd have to watch it like 80 billion times. And just, you want to have a whole end... podcast where we just watch Citizen Kane once and then review it and then watch it again and review it in the next episode? 
Um, yes, is the answer, and I mean that seriously. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, by the end of this time that I would explain it, that I would be explaining it to you, would just say, yes, okay, it's a great movie, just let me go. Um, though maybe, I don't know. Yeah. All right, well, give me, give, give me a, a quick overview then. Okay. Instead of giving you a quick overview, because I feel like that doesn't do the movie justice, I'm going to focus on one aspect that suits our purposes as an engineering and culture podcast very well. All right. Sound good? I buy it, yeah. Okay. So, Orson Welles makes the decision to hire Greg Toland, who's the best photography guy in the biz, which is what we call it in the biz. We call it the biz in the biz. Um, I always call it the whiz. You know, like nobody beats the... That explains a lot about you. Huh. Yeah. So what's so great about Greg Toland? Well, here's where we see um, technical advances actively contributing to art. Because Toland is extremely experimental. He's always up on what's new and coming out. And he uses those every chance he gets. I, that's great. I, I like this. Yeah. It's really Again, cool. this is what we do. <laughs> Um, so Tolan chooses to develop a brand new type of um, cinematography that he's developed just for this movie, and wow. it's called Pan Focus, which okay. it's actually just extremely deep focus photography, but what's deep focus photography, right? That's, that, that actually is my next question. <laughs> uh, deep focus means that the foreground and background are both in focus at the same time. Whereas most studios are using soft focus, where you have, like, the main characters in super focus, like Casablanca style. Yeah, um, and, and like, then the blur background everything out. And the background is all blurry, yeah. So, how does that work, though? Because my rudimentary understanding of lenses suggests that you need to have a focal point that's at a certain distance. Um, well, they were able to do this by making, like, a wider aperture. So, I think your oh, okay. so focal take point in... gets bigger. Yeah. More light. Yeah, all right. Yeah. So so basically, he built a really big camera. Is that right? Yeah, it's a giant camera. And oh my gosh, the shots of them, fil the shots of the shots that they're doing are really cool. Because they're like inside, like they've like dug a hole sort of, and the camera's like in this hole, and it's like panning up. And like Wells is down there with Toland, and they're like, how, how exactly do we want to do this? <laughs> and they're like on their That's tummies, cool. and it's really interesting. <laughs> Yeah, I like I you know I like the sort of gorilla aspect of, of filmmaking. I mean, you know, there there's a lot of importance to the art of you know like oh what should it be about and all that stuff. But I mean, I guess this is why I'm an engineer is because I do like the aspect of like okay, how the heck do we do that? And and they're just sort of out there kind of getting it done. Yeah. In in literal trenches. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now we've got this this type of camera that allows us to see. Everything in focus, uh, how, how do we use that? How does that really contribute to the art? I well, I do want to mention that um, there's deep focus before this, but like this is really, really, really deep focus. Like you can go like a long, long way out and still be in focus. Okay. Um, further than you've ever been before. But to answer your question, um, this allows, this is just one aspect of the film that makes it brilliant, but you see the development of Charles Foster Kane happen in, like, where he is in respect to the other characters. So, in the, the scene that we were talking about earlier where he's, like, in the background and he's playing with the sled and his mom's, like, looking at him and saying, I've had his bags packed for weeks. In this shot, 
Kane is way in the background. He doesn't have a control over his fate. He doesn't get to pick anything. The most control over his fate that he has is kicking this guy in the shin. <laughs> or whatever. Um, He's a child. Children don't have control over their fate. I'm exactly. sorry. I still don't agree with this scene. Okay, fine. Well, then let's move on to later in the oh, film. I was going to yell some more. No. No, no, no. But we didn't, we didn't actually talk about the, you know, we didn't set up the scene itself, which is that the the mother and the father and the banker are all sitting inside the cabin. Right. That's what I'm talking about. Okay. Yeah. Yes. And and they're discussing his fate. And then in the background, through a window, you can see the boy Charles Foster Kane playing outside in the snow, like making a snowman. And the entire thing is in frame and in focus. Yes. And so, I mean, it it's noticeable because the, clearly the shot is set up so that you can see him through the window the whole time. It's not incidental. No. And I think that's, that. I mean, that is pretty cool and only would be possible with this deep focus technique. You could totally imagine, like, Orson Welles being like, kid, get back and shot. Because every <laughs> once in a while he leaves shot and they're like, no, 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 come back. Jump around or something. I don't care. Just stay in frame. <laughs> I bet they taped up, like, a little square that he couldn't go outside of. <laughs> Which is a real challenge for that kid because, I mean... To look like you're having fun inside a tiny square. <laughs> inside of a two-by-two two box. Jumping and spinning. And... Sled like a foot and then get yeah. out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, are there other examples of this? How else has, yes. has it been affected? Let's juxtapose that example to later in the film when Orson Welles, who plays Charles Foster Kane, is in the front. He's got his old person makeup on and he's in the very front of the shot. And he is like he is like the, his shadow is looming over the rest of the frame and he looks totally in control of everything. And um, like all the other characters sort of are his are his puppets behind him. Mm. And he's super sad. Unlike he, when he was a kid, when he was like jumping around and happy just to sled a foot. <laughs> when he was happy. Uh, yeah, and so then I'm, I, I, I don't have that scene in my head exactly, but basically the entire thing's in focus is what you're saying? Yes. Yeah, you can mm -hmm. see his wife like 30, 40 feet behind him being like, let me out of here! <laughs> and he's well, like it's... sad and in control and like, no! Well, I like the way we can use that, you know, that technology to make an artistic point, which is that if if it was soft focus or, or you know, a shallow focus where it was just him, it would be the scene, the shot would be about him thinking. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And instead, it's because you have both things in focus, you're, it's purposefully saying, hey, also look and consider how these other people are right. affected by what's going on right now. Right. And which is cool. you avoid having to do montages and stuff because everything is in focus and you don't have to keep switching shots. Oh, yeah. You could do just a series of reaction shots. Oh, ooh, ah, <laughs> hey. And that would look really weird in like this type of or this filming style because it would just be people changing expressions every second. Ah, <laughs> uh, all right. So what else do we have to say about uh, Citizen Kane? Clearly, I mean, just even we're just touching the very surface here, uh, but it's it's technological and artistic achievements are impressive. It is very much so. Um, however, Citizen Kane is also like a real life tragedy. Oh, because um, what's his name? William Randolph Hearst 
does not really take kindly to being like sort of his life sort of being laid out for the American public, which is ironic because he laid other people's lives out for the American public. Yeah, and also William Randolph Hearst was uh, m much like uh, Kane in the movie uh, was not ashamed to play things up, you know, to well let's just get the story and make the story what we want it to be because we got to sell papers. Exactly. Exactly. And so um, so so so, yeah, this like triple irony spinning back on itself. It's a very it's a very difficult move. And it's <laughs> and you sort of lose track of where Orson Welles, Charles Foster Kane, and William Randolph Hearst end and begin. Mm. Um, That's true. Yeah. No, because I totally bought it. I, I I bought it in the movie. But so so it's fairly obvious the William Randolph Hearst connection. Uh, newspaper magnate has this you know crazy life. Yeah. Builds a giant. Uh, what's the name of? Oh, Hearst Castle is the name of William Randolph Hearst's giant house. Mm -hmm. Uh, but w what about Orson Welles? I don't think I know uh, exactly what happened to him after this filming. Well, unfortunately, William Randolph Hearst then ruined his career because he was like, he got him blacklisted because he had so much dirt on Hollywood execs. He could just tell the Hollywood execs to do whatever and they would jump too because mm. he had all sorts of things to blackmail them with. Um, and so Welles doesn't make a film for another like, uh, for like a really long time until the 50s, I think. Um, and they're nowhere as good as Citizen Kane because he's lost creative control. However, right. he does play a part in my favorite movie of all time. And I'm not just saying this because... The it's... Transformers movie? Was that it? I was joking. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he plays um Megatron or whatever. <laughs> no. Oh, I don't think... <laughs> No, 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 no. He plays Optimus Prime. Thank you. Okay. I was going to talk about The Third Man, which is my favorite movie of all time. Oh, I have not seen this. Please tell me. Oh, yeah. It's uh, film noir. And uh, it's about, it's sort of like later film noir. And it's set in, what is it? I think Vienna. And it's about a guy who is, he's a writer and he's a little bit down on his luck. And so his friend in Vienna is like, come visit me in Vienna and we'll have a good time. And he comes to Vienna and he learns that his friend has died under mysterious circumstances so he gets sucked into the mystery of solving his friend's murder and the soundtrack is amazing <laughs> it's like straight mandolin there's no other instrument wow that's intriguing um yeah and he gives this great monologue about cuckoo clocks and switzerland and anyway you should watch it i could see that it's um yeah, I mean, he brings a lot of intensity, so I i mean, he's probably, I really enjoy his monologues because he just really has a lot of gravitas. <laughs> he does have a lot of gravitas, especially in that third man monologue. Well, all right, so that is our discussion of Citizen Kane. Uh, boy, what a film. What a film. <laughs> Bringing you all the latest hard-hitting news and criticism. Doomed to Fail podcast. Join us next week when we will be talking about... Catherine, what are we talking about? <gasps> um, do you want to talk about cider? Oh, that sounds good. Let's do that. Okay, let's do that. All right. Join us next week when we talk about uh, cider on our ongoing happy hour series. Get happy, everybody. Get happy. Until then, have a great week. And boy, just stick to whatever you're doing. I like it a lot. And until then, 
That's Catherine Cogan over there. And Tim Dobbs over here. Bye. Bye-bye now. All right, bye-bye. Take me home, I'm feeling stressed. Put down your phone and I'll tell you what's happening next. Honey, you're passing the test. She sees what she wants to see.